This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Good morning on this Monday, February 13th. You're listening to WNBF. The first licensed cannabis shop in upstate New York is open for business in downtown Binghamton. Damien Cornwell's On Point Cannabis was awarded a retail license by regulators in November. The Just Breathe shop at 75 Court Street has sold hemp-derived products since the summer of 2021. The arduous licensing process for Cornwell was completed on Tuesday with official word from the state and approval of a special use permit by the Binghamton Planning Commission. Cornwell will own and operate the Binghamton store in a partnership with the Broome County Urban League. The business will open daily at noon and will close at 8 p.m. Monday through Wednesday, 9 p.m. Thursday, 10 p.m. Friday, and 9 p.m. Saturday. The store will be closed on Sundays. While expressing excitement that the shop now is in operation, Cornwell acknowledged there's pressure to do the right thing with the state's first licensed store outside New York City. For the first several days, Just Breathe will be selling cannabis products only to people who visit the Court Street location. It plans to launch a delivery service on February 17th. Various businesses have operated at the site of the new legal marijuana retailer. For decades, W.T. Grant Company had a store in the building. The place housed a Barbara Moss clothing store in the 1990s. It also was briefly home to the Urban League's Urban Star Vintage Boutique. Binghamton officials have ordered the entrances to a downtown restaurant closed until further notice because of concerns about the possibility of falling bricks. Matthew Jones of Burger Monday said the dining room and bar won't be operating until further notice. A small section of a parapet, a wall along the roof of the building at 23 Henry Street, collapsed Thursday morning. Several bricks fell to the sidewalk and onto State Street. Jones said the restaurant will be open for takeout only during normal hours. He expressed disappointment that customers won't be able to dine in for the time being. He said it's horrible. The business pivoted to the takeout model in the early weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic. A Syracuse area partnership acquired the five-story building for $2.2 million in August 2021. The owners had been planning to renovate the property. In a Facebook post, Laney Vasallo, one of the partners in the ownership group, wrote that a mason was quickly contacted after the owners learned of the falling bricks. Vasallo indicated efforts are underway to address the problem as quickly as possible. She said the company has worked to transform neglected properties into more beautiful and sustainable homes and apartments. Tim Moran of the rental company Foundation Housing on Friday afternoon said arrangements are being made with a contractor to get the needed equipment to the site to deal with the brick issue. He said he expects the affected section of State Street could be open in about a week. In Broome County Court, 45-year-old Eric Gross of Johnson City entered a plea of guilty to the felony charge of sexual conduct against a child in the second degree. Gross admitted that in 2008 in the city of Binghamton and in the village of Johnson City, he engaged in sexual contact with a child under 13 years old. Gross will be sentenced to four years in New York State Prison, followed by 10 years post-release supervision on May 9th. He will also be required to register as a sex offender under the New York State Sex Offender Registration Act. Michael Korchak, Broome County District Attorney, said abuse cases dating back 15 years are diff- very difficult to prosecute. This resolution saves the victim from having to testify in court and relive the crime. If you or someone you know is a victim of abuse, please contact your local police or the DA's office. During a narcotics investigation by the Cortland County Drug Task Force last week, the Cortland Police Department conducted a traffic stop on a vehicle in the city of Cortland for a traffic infraction. The operator of the vehicle, Akil Geddes, was found to be operating the vehicle without a license, while also being in possession of approximately two ounces of cocaine and an undisclosed amount of money. 
The cocaine had an approximate street value of over $5,700. Mr. Geddes was transported to the Cortland County Sheriff's Office for processing and to wait arraignment. Mr. Geddes was arraigned in Cortland City Court on February 10th and released on his own recognizance. Mr. Geddes is due to appear in the Cortland City Court on March 1st at 11 a.m. The investigation is ongoing and further charges are possible. During another narcotics investigation by the Cortland County Drug Task Force, the Cortland County Sheriff's Office conducted a traffic stop on a vehicle in the village of Marathon for a traffic infraction. The passenger of the vehicle, Artis Quiller, fled from the traffic stop on foot. The operator of the vehicle, Anthony Perkins, then fled from the stop in the vehicle. Mr. Quiller was taken into custody after a short foot pursuit. Mr. Perkins returned to the area a short time later, still driving the vehicle where he was stopped by the New York State Police. During the investigation, it was discovered that Mr. Perkins was operating the vehicle with, with a suspended driver's license. It was also discovered that the defendants were in possession of approximately four and a half ounces of cocaine and an undisclosed amount of U.S. currency. The cocaine discovered during the investigation has an approximate street value of over $12,500. As a result of the investigation, both defendants were arrested for the above charges and transported back to the Cortland County Sheriff's Office for processing and to await arraignment. Mr. Quiller and Mr. Perkins were arraigned on February 10th, where they were both remanded to the Cortland County Jail on no bail. Mr. Quiller and Mr. Perkins are due to appear in the Town of Marathon Court on February 15th. The investigation is ongoing and further charges are possible. The IRS says most relief checks issued by states last year won't be subject to federal taxes, providing late guidance as taxpayers have begun filing returns. The IRS said it won't challenge the taxability of payments related to general welfare and disaster, meaning taxpayers who receive those checks won't have to pay federal taxes on those direct payments. The guidance on Friday came a week after the IRS told payment recipients to delay filing taxes. All told, the IRS said special payments were made by 21 states in 2022. A U.S. fighter jet shot down an unidentified object over Lake Huron on Sunday on orders from President Joe Biden. It was the fourth such downing in eight days. Pentagon officials believe the latest military strike in an extraordinary chain of events over U.S. airspace has no peacetime precedent. The head of NORAD and U.S. Northern Command, General Glenn Verherk, says part of the reason for the repeated shootdowns is a heightened alert following a spy balloon from China that emerged over U.S. airspace in late January. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, sunny with a high near 49 degrees. Tonight, mostly cloudy, a low near 30. Wind could gust as high as 24 miles per hour. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a high near 44. Tomorrow night, increasing clouds with a low near 33. Wind gusts as high as 24 miles per hour. Wednesday, partly sunny with a high near 56. Winds as high as 29 miles per hour. And Wednesday night, partly cloudy, a low near 42 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Bob Joseph, live on a Monday morning at News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. Welcome to My World, another big week. We'll have information, interviews, and potential surprises. Give us a call, 607-772-1290. WNBF, good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, my name's Ron. I'm calling from Binghamton, New York. Good morning. What's on your mind? Well, 
I I called uh, Bob uh, as the first caller of the week. Thank you. Uh, I called with uh, to make an admission, and and uh, I figured I'd make it on live radio to uh, what sometimes you operate as a as a confessor of such admissions. So I hope you'll hear me out. Um, I have to report, Bob, that yesterday I watched sixty minutes and an Amazon documentary after 60 minutes was over. Well, uh, okay, um, your penance are, um, hmm, I'm not good at assigning penance. Uh, three Hail Marys. <laughs> There you go. That's all I can say. Uh, and please go and watch no more. Well, well, Bob, you do know what I'm referring to. I think I'm being kind of uh, tongue in cheek, but it is true. I did watch 60 Minutes in, in a very good Amazon documentary. Uh, and of course, 60 Minutes comes on at 7 p.m. And the documentary right after means I did not watch the Super Bowl. Imagine that. Imagine an American not watching the Super Bowl. I mean, am I going to be cast into the dark regions or what? What, what red-blooded um, American, especially male, no, uh, nothing meant chauvinistically there, but does not fall under the spell of the NFL? And I guess I made the conscious decision. I, I'm through falling under the spell of the NFL uh, billionaires using uh, the worship of uh, football in America and not regarding the health of young men. In fact, grooming them to play a dangerous sport. And we love it. We love it. Turn them on. Rihanna, whatever. Wow, what a great time. We're all under that spell. And uh, I've come to really, uh, you know, the NFL has a uh, NFL foundation. and. They are so full of it. Go online and go and look up NFL Foundation, and they say that they uh, are support the health, safety, and wellness of athletes across all levels, including uh, youth football. Uh, what they mean is they, for their financial advancement, are going to groom young men, little kids, and so on uh, to play this sport. And uh, they, too, can someday reach the heights of the National Football League, which they can't. You've only got 2,000 players in the National Football League and about 4,000 kids play football. Uh, so not too many kids uh, can aspire to that greatness. And if they aspire to that greatness and follow it through, chances are they'll be impaired by a uh, devastating brain disease. So I didn't watch, although I've been a sports person all my life, and I've watched uh, football and baseball and played. Uh, I didn't play football, but I played basketball and track and uh, 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 basketball, baseball, et cetera. But uh, I've I, I just, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm woke to the NFL, I guess you would say. I'm, I'm woke to them and the mesmerizing effect they have for the um, for not the health of the youth, but actually leading them down a very dangerous path. So that's it. I, I just wanted to point out that I was 
not among the, I, I guess, 130, 140 million Americans who watched the Super Bowl and, you know, ate their dip and wings and all of that. I, I opted out. Um, so maybe I'm going to get a little bumper sticker. They're going to have not it next the, year, though. You can always watch the 2024 telecast. Well, I, 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 I'm done with it. it uh, you just can't participate at in any way if you're a um, conscious uh, person understanding what this sport is doing to young men. I mean, you just, you know, if you want to be uh, complicit by omission, go go ahead. I guess you know, people don't know, but uh, I'm not under that spell. Uh, let's get the truth out. How many people this. did you say probably watched it? Do you know what the... What number did you say? Well, they estimated before the game, uh, like a week before the game, I read online that the estimate was about 130 million Americans would watch it. Now, they watch it in other parts of the world, I guess. But 130 million Americans is, you know, 40% or something of our population. Yeah, I just did the numbers, 39.2%. So that's interesting. More than 60% of Americans didn't watch it so it's not as popular as some may think it is most americans as again doing the numbers here more than 60 percent of americans probably didn't watch it so they were probably like you watching a 60 minutes rerun well bob i wait wait on that Uh, what what event televised event can match those numbers uh those uh what what is the TV rating uh, station thing? Uh, um, the people who rate how many people are watching not Gallup or whatever it is, you know. Uh, well, name name me something in which uh, you know the Academy Awards. Whatever, nobody you, you never have forty percent of of the possible viewing public watching an event. Uh, nothing beats the Super Bowl. It is the holy of holies. I mean, nothing beats it. Uh, and uh, hey, enjoy State of the Union. State of the Union address. Oh no, 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 no way! 40, why do you think C- Why do you think C-SPAN is so popular after all these decades? Because a lot of people watch the Congress and especially State of the Union and some of their other docudramas. I don't know how many. Uh, I, I bet the Super Bowl beat the State of the Union. I I don't. I mean, I don't know that. I didn't look it up, but. I bet viewership of the Super Bowl beats the state. There's no way to know. There's absolutely no way to know. No way to find out. Really? Oh, is it? I mean, you're you're jumping to a conclusion, but who's who's to say that? I mean, especially this year with all the anticipation for Joe Biden's. Um, hmm, that's interesting. Um. Just something I noticed here at the studio. Uh, now, with Joe Biden and everybody thinking, well, we're going to see him working without a net. So I, I wouldn't be surprised that if they uh, did ratings, that the State of the Union had more than 130 million people watching. <laughs> well, I I don't know. I mean, that may be so. I, I doubt the State of the Union beat the Super Bowl. And certainly nobody... By the way, I don't think it's even rated because technically, I believe the company that does the TV ratings, they only rate programs that have commercials. I don't think the State of the Union had any 
real commercials. I mean, I think they, for programming purposes, I think the networks broke it up into two parts. One called the State of the Union. So that was the first part. Then they did take a break and let local stations and the networks ran some commercials. And then the second part was called the Republican Response, but that also, I believe, had no commercials, so they probably don't even have a rating for the State of the well, Union. Well. So, But we can surmise, because of you know all the excitement that goes with the State of the Union, that a lot of people watched. Well, Bob, do you think that uh, they, ha- they uh, had State of the Union parties, people got together with chicken wings and, and beer, and everybody, you know, uh, came together in their basements and viewing rooms and had uh, had big parties like they do at the Super Bowl, watching uh, Joe Biden throw his Hail Mary? I don't know. I yeah. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't hear of one, but, you know, a lot of times people probably don't want to talk about their parties because that's probably when they use all that uh, food they, they've stashed aside, you know, the food that you get that supposedly has a shelf life of 50 years. So well, that's the that's that's when you get rid of last year's emergency food supply, and then the next day, the guy from FedEx drops off your next year's worth of emergency food supply, which will have a shelf life of a hundred years or whatever. You don't want you want to rotate your emergency foods. Well, Bob, I've been I've uh, I don't uh, buy from the fellow with the deep voice on the radio of uh, my supply of food. But uh, I, I've always been buying food that lasts, uh, well, it has a half-life. Uh, have you ever heard of Spam? It actually has a half-life, like uh, uranium-235. Well, between, between Spam and Vegemite, we're all set. We're, we're yeah. not, yep. not going to have a problem. Speaking of that guy, and I, I want to get him on the program because clearly he knows something that I don't about what's going to happen. But can you imagine what... Life has been like for that guy over the past two weeks with uh, these balloons coming over every few minutes and being shot down, and some apparently even operated by aliens. You think it could be operated by that food supply company kind of uh, getting up <laughs> to drum up business? It, I mean, probably they already have a new batch of commercials rolling out today. You don't, you, don't. you don't know. You, you don't know what'll happen next. With a, a spy balloon or an alien aircraft over your house, make sure you have plenty of spam and Vegemite for when the wheels for when the wheels fall off. Can I say one more thing, Bob? Uh, I I suppose. Okay. Uh, the uh, of interest, the documentary I watched uh, instead of the Super Bowl. And I had never seen it. Maybe you have. It's on Amazon Prime, and it's, uh, I think it's Client 9 or something. It's the Elliot Spritzer. Oh, Elliot Spritzer. Elliot Spritzer. Yeah. In fact, today is the anniversary of the day that Client 9 went and had some quality time at uh, a Midtown hotel. This, this is the uh, anniversary day. I mean, ultimately... He resigned the following month on St. Patrick's Day, but uh, yeah, client number nine was, uh, we'll say, busy on February 13th for some some reason. It was his unlucky day. Well, you know, Bob, uh, if, if you watch 
that uh, very good uh, documentary, and he's in it, and he's in it after, you know, his fall from grace. Uh, you know, one of the things it brings out, I mean, we're going to be remembering uh, Spitzer for, you know, his uh, his fall and, and what happened with him uh, resigning. But, uh, you know, when it comes to his work as attorney general, he did some really excellent work. And he he was known as the shepherd, uh, not the shepherd, but the, the sheriff, sheriff, the sheriff of, of Wall, Wall Street. Street. A lot of people didn't he, like him. Oh, because he he was uh, doing his job in a big way. And uh, it's a shame that he fell from grace. Of course, you know, he had a lot of negatives about him in terms of his personality. But he was a brilliant man or is a brilliant man. And uh, what he did in terms of his legal capacity in protecting investors and, and going after the big guys was, you know, really great. Uh, but. You know, he fell a uh, great tragedy, you know, hubris and uh, grace. So that I recommend that documentary. It's not salacious. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, a, uh, just rumor, gossip kind of documentary. It's a very uh, measured documentary. It'll give you a good view of a man falling from grace, what he did uh, before for the good, and how, you know, he slipped. Excellent documentary on uh, Amazon Prime. Just think, it was client 15 number. years ago today, and he wow. was client number nine. The um, yeah. the story, I remember, I remember being right here at the radio station in the newsroom when uh, <laughs> the New York Times story broke. I think it was around 1.15 on the afternoon of March 10th, 2008, when the New York Times... I'm sorry, I can't, can't help but laugh, because... I remember looking at the story and reading it and rereading it and thinking, no, this is obviously somebody. Somebody at the Times was getting set for April Fool's Day, which was coming up in three weeks, and somebody inadvertently put out a funny little fabricated story. I, you know, it, it was as though George Santos worked for the New York Times, even though we didn't know who he was at the time but but uh yeah march 10th 2008 is when it broke and i just think it's it's sad that it was exactly 15 years ago today it was february 13th 2008 that client number nine had his last i guess they called it a liaison uh, is that what they call it now it says uh, according to uh according to the story he had uh, eight or seven or eight sessions not sure if that's a technical term with women and paid more than fifteen thousand dollars so there there's a guy i mean say what you will about him and i'm sure you will ron but i mean clearly he had too much money if he's spending more than fifteen thousand dollars for stuff like that i mean you know that money could have gone to help the homeless or well bob feed the needy you know, or something he was doing part in the, the pun, a bang-up job as attorney general, oh. would have uh, as uh, as governor. Uh, and God, the guy needed therapy. He sought therapy. And, uh, you know, in France, this would be nothing. In Italy, this wouldn't be anything. But our, This is New uh, York. Uh, this is New York. We don't want, we don't want our governors, or for, by the way, I'm going to expand this, and this is going to make a lot of people unhappy. We don't want our governors or even local elected officials 
to behave like this. Now that just sent, that sent a shiver up the spines of a few people. Well, Bob, that's because we we are, are Americans are puritanical. We are, and you know what? You know what Puritans uh, fear more than anything: getting caught. Pur- Pardon? Getting caught. No, Puritans uh, fear that somewhere, someone out there is having fun. Might be having fun, right? So exactly. That's, you, you that's... Know, the guy goes for therapy, <laughs> and he, they shoot him down, and we lose. Uh, we lose a fight. I didn't think. I didn't think. I didn't think he was that good a governor, despite his reported proclivities. By the way. Even though I was unamused by the revelation, I honestly, I didn't think that was necessarily sufficient grounds for him to lose his job. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I, I think he should have stayed in office, and then if he wanted to run whenever his next election was going to be, and I don't, I don't quite recall, but let the voters decide. I. As far as I know, the money that was expended for his, I'll call them romps, um, I don't believe it was government money. I don't believe believe he cost New York taxpayers a penny for his misbehavior. So I think it was more of an issue for Governor Spitzer and his family and his friends if they happened to find out about it, which I doubt. Most of his friends knew anything about it. I guess one of the things that troubled me about it, probably even more than what Elliot Spitzer was doing, as client number nine, I, I think the, um, the thing that was more troubling was that his security detail, the state police, clearly knew what was going on, and they allowed this sort of behavior. I, and I understand it put them in in a... Um, a difficult position, so to speak, because what are they supposed to do? But on the other hand, state police are supposed to enforce the laws of New York State. The state police, and the security details, certainly had to have known what was up, so to speak. Well, Bob, it wasn't as if, as a public uh, elected official, he was like, having a liaison with uh, with an intern or something. We don't know. Like, By the way, we don't know. We we know a few details. All the details never came out. So who's yeah, well, to say who's to say that if he was engaged in this type of behavior that was reported by the New York Times, who's to say that he didn't do other things? I don't know. I mean, he never I don't think he ever ever went into detail about what what happened and and probably just as well i i think we already knew more than we wanted to about the guy but on the other hand he still is one of new york state's most respected governors it's nine thirty one. this is bob joseph wnbf and wnbf.com it's an starts recording
Balloon Radio, WNBF. Look up in the sky. Aliens are spying on your every move. It's called Amazon. Jeff Bezos. Back to the phones we go. On a Monday morning, Dale in Binghamton. Good morning. You're on the air. Morning, Bob. Nice sunny day. Getting warmer. Thank God. <laughs> that pile of snow was melting <clears throat> at the uh, post office. So, <laughs> but anything. <clears throat> that's a pretty intriguing person that you just sat on there, and I uh, understand some of those questions. They're very, very important questions that were raised. Very important. And, and what's been done, you know, in, in New York State to to have uh, Cuomo quit. Well, Cuomo, Spritzer, Schneiderman, look at all the people in all New York that. State who had to leave early. So it makes you wonder, who is actually running things? Who is Mm-hmm. Yep. And who will be the next governor to resign in disgrace? And to ask bigger questions, you know, what are they doing with the health care of older people? You know, exactly. And what are they doing with my money? Why is my money? Why is my money going? Why is my money going to build a stadium for uh, a couple of billionaires who live in Florida? Yeah. Come on, man. I know. I know, Bob. It was me the wrong way. Those Florida billionaires have enough billions to build uh, a beautiful, enclosed stadium, comfortable, enjoyable for all the fans in western New York, and they'll still have billions left over. But, you know, they're, they own this stuff. You know, it's, it just rubbed me the wrong way, Bob. You know, working all my life, I'm retired now. So, that, but, uh, you know, I, I love what I did and everything, and I didn't use it on people like that, you know. And uh, to have someone just quit and, and, and leave a job because he made a mistake, a big mistake, as far as I'm concerned. And, they should have uh, let him just apologize, say, I'm sorry. They forced him oh, out. Oh, that doesn't cut it. Well, no, but they they forced him out. They said, and this is this isn't exactly what they said, but the gist of it was the federal authorities who had been investigating him. They said basically, what you need to do is you need to resign, or else we're going to file criminal charges. That's right, and it should have been criminal. I mean, who wouldn't understand that? My doctor understands that. I understand that. Dr. Phil understands it. Like that? It's, it's a shame. It is a terrible, it's terrible a shame. shame. You know, and, and uh, I hope he regrets it for the rest of his life. I bet he does. I'll talk to you later, Bob. Thank you. Yeah, I bet he still has regret. It's 9.38... On WNBF, WNBF WNBF.com, Bob Joseph with you. Taking calls at 607-772-1290. As always, we'd like to hear what's on your mind. 
If buying a car is on your mind at the moment, here's something to consider. Where can you go to get a new Honda or a new Hyundai or a late model previously owned vehicle? Well, it's not a trick question. You probably already guessed it. Miller Motors, Miller Auto Team on the Parkway in Vestal, directly across from Binghamton University. They'll be open this evening till 7. So, if a Hyundai or a Honda tickle your fancy, stop in and talk with the Miller Auto Team to see what the options are. And maybe you're looking for something previously owned, a good value, dependable transportation. Hey, maybe you want to give a new vehicle to a special someone tomorrow, right? Maybe you want to give a new vehicle to a special someone and a new vehicle for yourself. So it'll be a memorable Tuesday. The Miller Auto Team is there for you. Stop in and see them today until 7. The Miller Auto Team, Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal. It's 939. This is Bob Joseph live on News Radio, WNBF 921 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. Oh. Nine forty-three News Radio WNBF. Bob Joseph live on a Monday. Tom and Endicott, you're on the air. Hey, good morning. What a beautiful day outside. The sun is shining. It, it certainly doesn't seem like uh, early February, but we'll take it. Absolutely. Hey, the reason I called is uh, I heard the hundred thirty million with the Super Bowl, which I sort of watched. I was sort of paying attention to my computer as well. But but anyway. Um, the statistics said that Biden's speech was watched by 27 million, which was 11 million less. What I found interesting was normally the president would give a speech during the Super Bowl, and he declined to do it this year. So I guess he didn't want to have talk in front of 130 million people. He's not allowed to give a speech during the Super Bowl. He's supposed to sit down for an interview with the okay, I'm sorry. with the company. Yeah, I'm yeah, with the company interview. that runs the Super Bowl, and so he wouldn't. He chickened out, and he wouldn't. He yeah. wouldn't sit down with John Hannity and Tucker Carlson. They wanted to ask him a few questions, and Joe Biden chickened out. Well, my my suggestion, Bob, is maybe next year you could volunteer to interview him on, on at the Super Bowl. You could put your name in. I would too. You know, I would be uh, a good choice. I don't know who has the Super Bowl next year. Uh, I don't know if it's <laughs> going to be. NBC or CNN, but uh, anyway, whoever does the the Super Bowl next year, if they would uh, be gracious enough to invite me to interview President Biden, I would I would gladly I would gladly sit down for fifteen minutes and ask him a few questions because I have a few for the guy. <laughs> yeah, the only other comment was watching the you know the Super Bowl halftime show where Rihanna comes down from. Based and everything else, I found that kind of interesting. Um, but you know, it, clearly, clearly, it seemed like with her costume and everything, something was going on. I guess this morning they said she was pregnant. I twins. Don't think that's it's a twins. Discovery. Oh, really? It's twins. And oh, wow. uh, the guy from Mar-a-Lago actually was tweeting about it. He's pretty proud of himself, I guess. 
right. Well, that, that's all I had. I just, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I know. It's early. Obviously, I'm kidding. I don't have any reason to believe he's involved. But you never know. You just never know these days. It's 9.45. This is Bob Joseph live on the radio. I'll be taking more calls today, I believe. So if you have something to say, 607-772-1290 would be the way to uh, reach the inner sanctum here at WNBF. Hi, folks. Celebrates appropriately and responsibly at 9.50 with Bob Joseph. Monty. Good morning, Monty in Binghamton. How are you today? Good. How are you? Good. I was just wondering, has there been any press coverage about the uh, SUNY Broom student who was murdered in Brooklyn? No. Well, I haven't okay. seen it. When, when did that happen? Uh, I saw it in the post. Two days ago, and it, it did. Uh, the write-up says he was a, uh, a student at SUNY Broome. Hmm. All right. I will. I will look into that. I I had not heard it. So I. By the way, I really didn't pay attention to local news over the weekend. So maybe. Oh, yes. Maybe it was on Action News, but I I had not heard it. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing to me that the Post, if you get the Sunday Post edition, they have all the college scores, and they have Binghamton University's women's team, uh, Binghamton University's med team scores, and uh, <laughs> you pick up the press on Sunday morning, and there's not absolutely anything. No, but they do have some good history stuff from Jerry Smith on 3A. Oh, yes, very much so, very yeah. much so. Oh, you know, that's the saving grace of the paper. But, um, you know, as far as if you're looking for local news, I mean, good luck. Because, as as, yeah. as they say, that ship has sailed. Yes, it has. Yeah, yes, it I has. mean, but I give them credit because they're single-handedly helping to keep the Canadian newsprint industry afloat for another six months. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't yes, yes, actually. Yes. I don't know. They haven't said. They haven't made any commitment to how much longer they're keeping their print edition. If you look at Monday and Tuesday print editions, I'd be. Let's see. Today's print edition. Wow. Sixteen, big, bulky, non-local news pages. Um, yeah. 
So I, I don't understand. Yeah, you know, I was thinking this morning when um, I was uh, listening to uh, the news on the radio, I was thinking, I remember the good old days, I would look forward to the Binghamton Press, or even before that, when it was just the Sun Bulletin in the morning, and you could see the sports scores from the the previous night. Like, say, today, wouldn't it have been nice? I'm looking at the front page of today's Binghamton paper, printed near Rochester. Mm-hmm. Their coverage of the Super Bowl is, look for coverage in today's e-newspaper for subscribers only. I want, I want, I'm looking at the sports section today, there's a story about high school wrestling. That is the top story. No, the top story today should be the big game. Don't you think? But Absolutely. So they've got two stories about high school wrestling. And again, I'm not downplaying high school wrestling. It's important in my life too, but more important from a sports standpoint would be the big game and there's not even a reference on the front page of the sports section today that there was any kind of big game on sunday so anyway but to your point yeah if you want if you want local news you're you're probably going to get better satisfaction from the new york post maybe the new york about this the new york post should open up a binghamton bureau they should. They should. You know, we have That's enough totally stuff going on around here that the New York Post could justify having a Binghamton Bureau. Heck, we have... I have space near our newsroom that I'll sublet to the New York Post for their Binghamton Bureau chief. There's enough news in Binghamton to sustain a New York Post-Binghamton Bureau. I mean, look at this place. There is, there is, just like the story on the, uh, of the uh, SUNY broom suit that right. had no local, local coverage whatsoever, yeah. and I have to pick up the post to, to read about what's happening in Binghamton, New York. <laughs> it's a shame. I appreciate your call. Hope you have a good day. Thank you, sir. Bye now. It's 9.54. This is Bob Joseph on WNBF and WNBF.com. Nine fifty-eight live WNBF broadcasting on an assigned frequency of ninety-two-one FM, which is W two two eight EJ, and then WNBF, your traditional favorite, broadcasting at twelve ninety AM. So we've got you covered. Frequency modulation, amplitude modulation, whatever modulation that uh, you think you need, consider it done here at WNBF. We're taking more calls coming up, so if you haven't uh, had an opportunity to call in to speak your mind, don't worry. Additional opportunities are going to present themselves. Here's the official forecast. Doesn't sound much like February, but as uh, a caller short time ago said we'll take it we'll take it we have no control 
Even Dave Nicosia, who was here a few days ago in the studio, acknowledged even, even he, the guy in charge of the National Weather Service office at Greater Binghamton Airport, even he has zero control over the weather. So here it is. Like it or not, the official forecast. Sunny today, high 51. Winds out of the west, 3 to 8 miles an hour. They could gust as high as 20 miles an hour. Mostly cloudy tonight, low 31. Some gusty winds tonight, too. Maybe gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Mostly sunny tomorrow, high 45. And partly sunny Wednesday, high 56. Right now, sunny skies and 33. Fahrenheit in downtown Binghamton. That's one Celsius. At News Radio WNBF. Today is World Radio Day. Therefore, do not touch your dial or your receiver for at least the next two hours. It's 10 o'clock. This is WNBF. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Monday, February 13th. You're listening to WMBF. The first licensed cannabis shop in upstate New York is open for business in downtown Binghamton. Damien Cornwell's On Point Cannabis was awarded a retail license by regulators in November. The Just Breathe shop at 75 Court Street has sold hemp-derived products since the summer of 2021. The arduous licensing process for Cornwell was completed on Tuesday with official word from the state and approval of a special use permit by the Binghamton Planning Commission. Cornwell will own and operate the Binghamton store in a partnership with the Broome County Urban League. The business will open daily at noon and will close at 8 p.m. Monday through Wednesday, 9 p.m. Thursday, 10 p.m. Friday, and 9 p.m. Saturday. The store will be closed on Sundays. While expressing excitement that the shop now is in operation, Cornwell acknowledged there's pressure to do the right thing with the state's first licensed store outside New York City. For the first several days, Just Breathe will be selling cannabis products only to people who visit the Court Street location. It plans to launch a delivery service on February 17th. Various businesses have operated at the site of the new legal marijuana retailer. For decades, W.T. Grant Company had a store in the building. The place housed a Barbara Moss clothing store in the 1990s. It also was briefly home to the Urban League's Urban Star Vintage Boutique. Binghamton officials have ordered the entrances to a downtown restaurant closed until further notice because of concerns about the possibility of falling bricks. Matthew Jones of Burger Monday said the dining room and bar won't be operating until further notice. A small section of a parapet, a wall along the roof of the building at 23 Henry Street, collapsed Thursday morning. Several bricks fell to the sidewalk and onto State Street. Jones said the restaurant will be open for takeout only during normal hours. He expressed disappointment that customers won't be able to dine in for the time being. He said it's horrible. The business pivoted to the takeout model in the early weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic. A Syracuse area partnership acquired the five-story building for $2.2 million in August 2021. The owners had been planning to renovate the property. In a Facebook post, Laney Vasallo, one of the partners in the ownership group, wrote that a mason was quickly contacted after the owners learned of the falling bricks. Vasallo indicated efforts are underway to address the problem as quickly as possible. She said the company has worked to transform neglected properties into more beautiful and sustainable homes and apartments. Tim Moran of the rental company Foundation Housing on Friday afternoon said arrangements are being made with a contractor to get the needed equipment to the site to deal with the brick issue. He said he expects the affected section of State Street could be open in about a week. In Broome County Court, 45-year-old Eric Gross of Johnson City entered a plea of guilty to the felony charge of sexual conduct against a child in the second degree. 
Gross admitted that in 2008 in the city of Binghamton and in the village of Johnson City, he engaged in sexual contact with a child under 13 years old. Gross will be sentenced to four years in New York State Prison, followed by 10 years post-release supervision on May 9th. He will also be required to register as a sex offender under the New York State Sex Offender Registration Act. Michael Korchak, Broome County District Attorney, said abuse cases dating back 15 years are diff- very difficult to prosecute. This resolution saves the victim from having to testify in court and relive the crime. If you or someone you know is a victim of abuse, please contact your local police or the DA's office. During a narcotics investigation by the Cortland County Drug Task Force last week, the Cortland Police Department conducted a traffic stop on a vehicle in the city of Cortland for a traffic infraction. The operator of the vehicle, Akil Geddes, was found to be operating the vehicle without a license, while also being in possession of approximately two ounces of cocaine and an undisclosed amount of money. The cocaine had an approximate street value of over $5,700. Mr. Geddes was transported to the Cortland County Sheriff's Office for processing and to wait arraignment. Mr. Geddes was arraigned in Cortland City Court on February 10th and released on his own recognizance. Mr. Geddes is due to appear in the Cortland City Court on March 1st at 11 a.m. The investigation is ongoing and further charges are possible. During another narcotics investigation by the Cortland County Drug Task Force, the Cortland County Sheriff's Office conducted a traffic stop on a vehicle in the village of Marathon for a traffic infraction. The passenger of the vehicle, Artis Quiller, fled from the traffic stop on foot. The operator of the vehicle, Anthony Perkins, then fled from the stop in the vehicle. Mr. Quiller was taken into custody after a short foot pursuit. Mr. Perkins returned to the area a short time later, still driving the vehicle where he was stopped by the New York State Police. During the investigation, it was discovered that Mr. Perkins was operating the vehicle with with a suspended driver's license. It was also discovered that the defendants were in possession of approximately four and a half ounces of cocaine and an undisclosed amount of U.S. currency. The cocaine discovered during the investigation has an approximate street value of over $12,500. As a result of the investigation, both defendants were arrested for the above charges and transported back to the Cortland County Sheriff's Office for processing and to await arraignment. Mr. Quiller and Mr. Perkins were arraigned on February 10th, where they were both remanded to the Cortland County Jail on no bail. Mr. Quiller and Mr. Perkins are due to appear in the Town of Marathon Court on February 15th. The investigation is ongoing and further charges are possible. The IRS says most relief checks issued by states last year won't be subject to federal taxes, providing late guidance as taxpayers have begun filing returns. The IRS said it won't challenge the taxability of payments related to general welfare and disaster, meaning taxpayers who receive those checks won't have to pay federal taxes on those direct payments. The guidance on Friday came a week after the IRS told payment recipients to delay filing taxes. All told, the IRS said special payments were made by 21 states in 2022. A U.S. fighter jet shot down an unidentified object over Lake Huron on Sunday on orders from President Joe Biden. It was the fourth such downing in eight days. Pentagon officials believe the latest military strike in an extraordinary chain of events over U.S. airspace has no peacetime precedent. The head of NORAD and U.S. Northern Command, General Glenn Verherk, says part of the reason for the repeated shootdowns is a heightened alert following a spy balloon from China that emerged over U.S. airspace in late January. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, sunny with a high near 49 degrees. Tonight, mostly cloudy, a low near 30. Wind could gust as high as 24 miles per hour. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a high near 44. Tomorrow night, increasing clouds with a low near 33. Wind gusts as high as 24 miles per hour. Wednesday, partly sunny with a high near 56. Winds as high as 29 miles per hour. And Wednesday night, partly cloudy, a low near 42 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, 
WMBF.com and 92.1 FM. Bob Joseph live on a Monday from Money Radio, WNBM. You want money, maybe we'll give you some money. If you keep listening to WNBM. Everybody loves the money, and now we'll talk about the money. Millions and millions, and millions and millions and millions of dollars were made available to the city of Binghamton as part of, um, I guess, a COVID relief package from Uncle Sam, our favorite uncle, who has lots of money to give out. And so it was that... uh, Binghamton and other great municipalities across the United States got lots of cold, hard cash to, um, I guess, stimulate the economy. City of Binghamton was awarded, I believe, $46 million. It was announced, I recall, with a certain degree of fanfare and enthusiasm by Mayor Richard David. Some people, though, uh, probably have wondered, gee, $46 million, uh, what, have they, what have they actually used that money for? Well, uh, some Binghamton residents have been looking into that, and they actually have developed a website to try to keep track of where all those millions and millions of dollars are being spent. Joining us now to talk about this effort is Tarek Abdelazim. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you this Monday morning? Oh, good. Good. Uh, nothing I like talking more about on a Monday morning than $46 million in money for my favorite city. <laughs> you bet. Yeah, actually, uh, it, it wasn't just the city of Binghamton. Um, it's part of the American Rescue Plan Act that President Biden signed in 2021. Um, there was $350 billion allocated to every unit of government across the country, every local county, state, and tribal government received an allocation. And just here in Broome County, that totaled over $125 million. Um, the three largest recipients, the city of Binghamton at $46 million, Broome County at $37 million, and the town of Union at $30 million and a half. And then every other local government received a, a smaller grant. And the intent was largely to help communities recover from COVID-19. It was very flexible uh, rules that were established. I think they realized that local officials were probably best suited to work with their community members, their residents, and really build a robust recovery plan. And they had just over five years to spend this money. So gave them the opportunity to be very thoughtful about how they could support small businesses, workers, families, children, um, and every resident with, you know, needs to recover fully from COVID-19. 
So the question has always been, well, how has the city been spending this money? Um, and it's been a bit frustrating because even though $125 million has been allocated to governments across from county, not a single government held a single community forum. Uh, I do know that three Democratic council members held a Zoom meeting in the early stages, and that was it. Um, and it was just a really poor handling uh, in, in not engaging residents about what the needs are. Well, don't so, you think that the local officials, elected officials, probably figured they knew best because the people had chosen them, whether it's for the city of Binghamton or the other municipalities or Broome County, maybe they just thought, well, the people have chosen us to run things, so let's let's just cut to the chase. We'll we'll spend money and it'll be more efficient and faster if we don't have public hearings. We we know what's best, like Broome County and the Town of Union. They spent didn't they spend or allocate, I think, five million dollars each for the, the mall. Right. I do know. I, I think uh, Broome County actually allocated $7 million. Okay, well, I didn't know the total amount. I thought uh, at least $10 million in ARPA money, some from Broome County and some from the town of Union, I believe. That's that's one of the reasons why the mall looks as good as it does today compared to what it looked like before COVID. Well, I think if you were to ask residents, particularly those most impacted by COVID, and the, the program rules strongly encouraged um local governments to focus their spending on those most impacted by COVID and those who have historically been disproportionately impacted by whether that's housing challenges, lack of health care access, et cetera. But if you ask residents, Bob, I think probably come up with some very similar categories. One, housing, right? We, we know we have a housing crisis. We know that there are many vulnerable tenants. We know that uh, there's a homelessness crisis. So that would be an issue. Mental health, I would say, probably number two on the list. Um, so many people that have just experienced trauma, either losing loved ones directly or so many children that have uh, lost time at school and have fallen behind and, and struggling. So mental health would be a top uh, issue. I think food security, child care access to allow uh, folks to get back to work. Um, you know, I, I think residents would come up with those, but then when you look at what Binghamton and, and the other governments have actually spent it on, it doesn't really align with those priorities. Um, and we've been, a lot of groups have been challenging the local administration here in Binghamton to prioritize those and to engage folks most impacted by the COVID to be at the center of designing solutions and implementing them. And there's never been a single effort by any local official of either party to truly engage in that process. And so what, how has the money been spent? Well, it's all been kind of, you know, behind closed doors and and then ordinances are rolled out last minute and rushed. Well, it's true because, and, and let's be crystal clear, what's going on right now in Binghamton is being replicated across the country because with a lack of uh, journalistic infrastructure, there isn't much, of, if any, oversight now of government. So whether it's the city or the county or towns or villages or whatever, um, the type of reporting that 
might have happened, say if this was 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, with some oversight, at least, in how the uh, relief funds were going to be allocated. A lot of that stuff, at least, would have been covered along the way, but as it turns out, very little has. I mean, we covered a little bit when I know they were um, talking about allocating some money. I don't know if it was about six hundred fifty or seven hundred thousand dollars to make repairs to the uh, roof or ceiling at, at the city council chamber. But indeed, you know, to be blunt, as as a journalist in Broome County, journalists have have not been following this as as would have been uh, the case. You know, if in in the good old days when journalism at least was somewhat funded. Now now it's barely funded. Absolutely. And I think most residents would, you know, they, they rely on their officials uh, to be thoughtful, to be inclusive, um, and to prioritize the needs of the residents. And I can tell you, I work nationally with local governments all over this country, and I have seen models of, of excellence. Um, and we actually include on our website even just some of the processes uh, local governments here in New York have, have undertaken to that, that showed a much stronger commitment towards that transparent and inclusive process. Syracuse, Troy, um, uh, Schenectady, they, Albany, we, we named a few and showed links to their dedicated pages on their website, the robust community engagement sessions they held, um, how they're allocating um, dollars across those priorities that I, I named, housing, mental health, child care, food security. And I think when folks see that, then they suddenly realize that what we've been celebrating here in Binghamton is is, is not even mediocrity. I would say it's, it's just poor performance altogether. And you're right, is when officials don't do that, we typically rely on the media to hold them accountable. But there has been little to no reporting and little to no interest. So. We decided to take it upon ourselves. And and I'll just say, you know, when when they made those commitments to the city council chambers, you know, that was the first allocation they made, which was pretty much a slap in the face to so many people who were still struggling with housing that they felt the first investment should be to ensure the city council chambers has, you know, its roof over its head, even though that issue had been there since 2013. Um, and they said that the reason they wanted to do that was to ensure that they could that citizens could come down and participate in democracy, that that was so important to them. But yet, in the actual administration of the funds, we see their true uh, principles and values, which is they basically shut residents out. Um, So what some of us did is we actually submitted a a request for legislation back in September of last year that would uh, require the administration to establish a dedicated website on the city's webpage that would show their commitment to transparency, outline every expenditure that has been allocated to date, what's remaining, how people could get involved. And the city council president, Phil Strawn, um, just wouldn't even allow that that proposal to come up for a conversation. So after two months of asking him and emails and showing up at city council sessions, never a response from Mr. Strawn, not a response from any of the other well, council members. Did did the council president ever indicate why he didn't want that to at least be discussed publicly? No, no, no. No, I asked him multiple times in emails, politely, respectfully asked him. I said to council members, all I got was tone, uh, deaf silence and um, stone-cold stares when, when we asked in person. So we said, you know what, forget it. Uh, fortunately, there is a law 
um, that can compel uh, governments to disclose documents to residents or anyone else who submits what's called a freedom of information request. So we did. Uh, we asked um, the city of Binghamton to provide us all the documents of every allocation that has been made to date of the ARPA funds, the $46 million. And we received a response from the city comptroller, full spreadsheet of every allocation. So what me and a couple other residents did was we built a website. It's kind of our, you know, holiday gift to the city of Binghamton taxpayers and residents to allow them to see for themselves exactly how the city has allocated these funds. And I think when you see the list, uh, the website is called BinghamtonSlushFund.org because that's really what they've done is primarily turn this into a political slush fund. Um, I think people will see why they've wanted to keep it quiet and reduce the amount of conversation of how they've chosen to spend these funds. What do you think, as you consider the the allocations and you've touched on on several already but is there anyone in particular that you view as the most egregious in um, in in what the city of binghamton has done with the with its arpa allocation yes there is i, I want to be clear and we write this in the website that you know somebody who's had to study these rules for for my professional work um Nothing that they've done is typically ineligible because the program rules were so flexible. But the decisions they've made in the face of needs in this community certainly, I think, could be uh, described as egregious. And probably the most egregious was the fact that um, there is a category called uh, lost revenue. So governments obviously lost revenue during COVID, whether it's parking tickets, it's uh, parking garage fines and fees and, you know, garbage, whatever. But um, they were allowed to take a portion and re, uh, replenish their general fund for the amount of revenue that they lost or expenses that they incurred to deal with the immediate um, response to COVID. Now, Chuck Shager, the Binghamton Comptroller, first introduced a legislation to city council, and he documented about $3.5 million that the city had lost that would qualify. Um, he quickly rescinded that and then put forward another proposal that it was actually $6 million. And then he rescinded that because uh, Mayor David had hired an accounting firm that basically had perfected how to finesse the rules and they told the city of Binghamton that actually you can you can request more than twelve million. So they did. They took more than twelve million the first time, and now that number has has totaled almost thirteen point five million that they basically swept into the general fund. And once they do that, those funds now are no longer obligated uh, to comply with program rules. So it basically becomes a slush fund. And to think that the comptroller himself documented the only impact to the general fund was about three and a half million to then sweep thirteen point five million in um, really was an uh, an egregious act that you know again um, it's kind of a slap in the face to small businesses, workers, homeowners, tenants that were struggling from the COVID and. From that slush fund, um, they allocated $7 million towards the rebuild of the Boscov's parking garage, which will include market rate luxury housing. Now, 
Will this improve downtown? Sure. But this fund wasn't a, hey, improve your city fund. It was help those who were impacted by COVID fund. And it's just uh, really unfortunate that, you know, these are the kind of decisions that the former mayor made, the Republican council rubber stamped, and, you know, uh, Mayor Cram is largely following. Though I will give Mayor Cram credit because he has made some decisions that are better, and all of them are reflected at the website, Binghamton Slush Fund. We are updating it every month based on any new allocations. But both um, the county and city of Binghamton have about $4.5 million left, uh, which is it's ridiculous considering we have until December 2026 to spend this. Um, and I, I strongly think, you know, residents should still be engaged, though we've lost the chance to steer most of these funds towards the highest priorities of those most impacted, there still is an opportunity to, you know, commit millions of dollars towards those needs that have are still going unmet. And I, I hope residents take advantage of the website. We, we truly mean this as an informational resource um, and that they get engaged and involved and, and shape these final, you know, decisions for the remaining dollars that are left. The website states that... Uh you reached out, the people who did this website reached out to the mayor and encouraged him to contact us if he wants to provide further clarification or a correction. What response did you receive from Mayor Cram? Zero, as usual. Um, but, you know, I mean, here's the funny thing is I heard from some council members that when we made that request for the city, for the administration to, to create a, a web page, um, they said, geez, we just don't have the resources. And in the budget, there's a dedicated position, $46,000 salary, and the title of the position is Website and Social Media Coordinator. (laughs) But yet they can't have that person spend, you know, five hours to get this information in line. They had to compile all the information for that FOIL request. They could have put that online with a couple more hours. And it's just sad that, you know, citizens who, who really want to be part of this process, who really want to elevate the needs of those who are suffering in this community, particularly around housing and mental health, that we're the ones that have to commit our time as volunteers to hold our leaders accountable. Who is paying for this website? It's coming out of my pocket, Bob. Um, fortunately, I, I, I won a little money at the, in the Super Bowl pool last night, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's going towards the administration of the Binghamton Slush Fund. So about how much money has been expended to put this, put the website together and and also, as you mentioned, to collect the information approximately how much, how much money out of pocket have you spent on on this effort to provide um, information to city residents? I think it's about $50 out of pocket. It'll probably be another 50, 100 for website. Oh, so you're not going broke. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Well, I, well, you I see, I have no idea. But... <laughs> right. No, I no. I, I just didn't this know if a... it was $100 or $100,000, because I don't know how these things really work. No, this is just a reflection of our passion of being engaged citizens and, and, again, really trying to drive these dollars to help those in need in our community. And, you know, we're, we're not going to stop. We're going to continue to advocate for these needs. Um, there can be other opportunities that come down the pipe um, that can really meet and address particularly housing needs in our community. And I think all of us are just sick and tired of 
you know, wealthy developers getting millions of dollars to build more, uh, you know, market rate luxury housing when we all know that uh, Binghamton residents at every income spectrum are suffering from housing crisis, but particularly those who are most vulnerable, who are, you know, trying to just make keep a house over there, a roof over their head, uh, and many are, in fact, unable to do that and are experiencing homelessness through the winter. It's just... It's awful that our our leaders are just remain stone, uh, just deaf to this this incredible crisis in our community. When did the website go live? I think it went live in January, first second week of January. We announced a council meeting, uh, and we have some updates to do. Just this last meeting, they approved uh, almost another three hundred thousand. Um, for a really good apprenticeship program uh, that seems to work very well in Rochester has been launched in Albany, um, and also I think a 10,000 allocation to Broome County Council of Arts. But what we'll do at the end of every month, um, we'll see if council has made new allocations, and then we'll update the website accordingly. So of the money that remains, and to be clear, there's not, percentage-wise, there's not a lot of money that remains from the city's allocation in ARPA money, but there still are a few million dollars. What do you think of the money that's left that has been unallocated that um, that money would best be used for? What specifically? I, I, obviously housing, and housing for our low and very low income uh, individuals. We had put together, and I had framed this, the Great Housing Reset, um, when, when these funds were first announced. The, to take half of the $46 million and commit towards uh, housing in our community and a really broad platform where we would produce uh, community-owned uh, homes through the Community Land Trust, affordable housing, where we would finally implement a rental inspection and licensing program to ensure that every resident is living in healthy and safe housing. We could have met some of the most responsible landlords who are willing to uh, comply with small repair loans, um, support tenant protections, expand counseling, uh, right to counsel for tenants, like a whole list of housing support services that could have dramatically and significantly uh, increased or improved housing for thousands and thousands of residents all across the city. And instead, we, we got $7 million towards a luxury project downtown. And as you'll see on the website, one pattern that happens over and over again is these funds are just being used for like routine maintenance. Um, Two million for the new fire station, four million for the water plant, total of almost 11 million for water and sewer infrastructure, repairs to every fire station. Again, the taxpayer can say, this is great, right? Because now we don't have to pay for that. But this wasn't a capital maintenance fund. This was a COVID recovery fund. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to help this community recover. And I think by all accounts, our, our officials, our, our local leaders failed us. But that's why we have the website. We encourage residents to go, learn, and they can make a decision for themselves. And hopefully they'll, they'll be a bit frustrated um, to the point of enraged, and then they can get engaged and try to steer these remaining millions towards those needs that continue to go unmet in our community. In 2017, you ran against Richard David. You were the Democratic candidate for mayor. So looking ahead to 2025, is this website 
laying the foundation for another possible run for mayor? Oh God, no, no. That that, that ship has sailed. I think the the Republicans have beat the spirit out of me, uh, <laughs> and they have uh, they have done their best to ensure that I am like some monster in the community, um, fairly or unfairly. No, I, I have no interest whatsoever to run for politics. Not I county think, uh, executive, not mayor, nothing. Not nothing, nothing. I am an engaged citizen. Will remain that way. And we'll always be on the side of those who are struggling to make, you know, ends meet here in our community. I think what you can say, though, is that somebody definitely did use these ARPA funds for political purposes. And I think that was our former mayor. You know, I mean, he had six months to spend these funds before he was out of term. And he he blew through 30 million. Um, it's It's probably not a stretch to say that that was because he knew he had a Senate campaign coming up the following year and he wanted to run around point to all the projects that he sponsored so he basically shut the door on community engagement on a thoughtful process for his own personal political ambitions that's my take others can read into it themselves but you know i think when again when when you see what other communities have done what other mayors have done to engage their residents and to make this a thoughtful process it just pales. I mean, it just it, it it puts to shame what happened here in Binghamton and across Broome County. Tarek Abdelazim, again, the website, if people want to check it out, is? BinghamtonSlushFund.org. All right. Well, let me know if you uh, get any feedback from either the current mayor, Jared Cram, or the former mayor, Richard David, if, if you get feedback, if they send you um, a message, either the current or former mayor, will you post it on the website? Uh, most likely, depending on what it is. I mean, here's the thing is that uh, all the numbers are accurate because they came from the city comptroller. If for some reason in the translation we made an error, certainly correct us. But they had the chance to tell their story on how they were, fr- how they were spending these dollars. They refused to do it. So. If they have some problems with some of the language that we use on the website, well, I'm sorry. They passed on that, and um, they're not going to have any say in how we frame this. In the last few weeks since this went live in January, have you received much comment from average Binghamton residents? A lot of folks um, all across the political spectrum that really appreciate that this uh, information has been made public that they had no idea that, you know, these funds were flexible and could be spent through 2026. They had no idea how fastly the former mayor blew through $30 million. You know, so um, I, I, I think this is achieving its goal, which is it's meant to be an informational resource and, again, to kind of breathe life into what should be a very robust process. And uh, that is how democracy not only survives but thrives when we're all engaged. Tarek Abdelazim, live on WNBF. Thanks for the information. Keep me posted if there are new developments. Thanks for your interest, Bob. I really appreciate the conversation. Take have, care. Have a good day. It's 1038. What are your thoughts? 607-772-1290. I'm Bob Joseph, live on WNBF. Funny.
1043 WNBF. It's mid-February, which means everybody is thinking about ice fishing, including Tom Decker of the Whitney Point Sportsmen's Association. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? How are you this morning? Well, I'm doing well. So how's the fishing? Well, the fishing's not going to be very good for the crappy derby this year. There's just not enough ice or good ice on the reservoir for us to have that event with all those people there. So it's, I'm sorry to report that, but there's only about eight inches of ice on the on the reservoir, which is plenty if just individuals are out. But if we're going to have a big event like that, it's not enough. So when was it going to be, this Saturday? It was going to be this Saturday, the 18th. And... We've, we've kind of knew all along that we just haven't had the weather conducive for making good ice. You know, it's it's freezed, it's thawed, it's snowed on, it's rained on, and when you have weather like that, the ice just isn't spectacular. And so, therefore, we were kind of knew ahead of time that this really wasn't going to work out this year by the looks of it. Uh, it didn't. And we fished, made it official today. Met with representatives of the Broome County Parks Department up there. And uh, we all agreed that the ice just wasn't thick enough or of good enough quality to have an event. Well, last year's so, crappy derby also was canceled. Yeah, but that was right on the last day. On the Friday before, we ended up having to cancel because there was rain coming, and or actually it had rained. And the Army Corps of Engineers had told us we were going to have to close the gates, which meant the reservoir was going to rise and then separate from the edges. We just we kind of got caught on that one. We had plenty of ice, but we just didn't. We we were going to lose the edges. Right, it wasn't going to be safe. That was uh, one no. of the more unusual cancellations. The uh, whole thing with this crappy derby over uh, really almost half a century. It it's always well, of course, uh, an ice fishing tournament is going to be contingent on weather conditions, but it just seems more in recent years that it's been tougher and tougher to hold it. Yeah, it's, it's been three years now since we were able to hold it. And uh, it it is a long time. Um, and it's always been kind of like right to the last minute we were kind of hoping, but then it just doesn't happen. And we can't have these nice, beautiful, sunny days like today and then have rain and you're just not going to get the ice you need. And the safety of people out there is the biggest thing. Absolutely. A lot of people, it's, it's a lot of people come out that don't fish all the time or ice fish all the time. And that comes back to knowing what you're doing when you're out on the ice. And if you, if you don't have the experience, you shouldn't be out on it. Have you been able to do any real ice fishing this season over the last several weeks? Yes. Yes. All We've right. personally done some ice fishing. Right. And but, as you said, it's you know, it's a different story when, when people are doing it individually as opposed to having hundreds or thousands of people hey. coming coming to the um to the reservoir. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, when you're out there by yourself and you have eight inches of ice, that's plenty. But you get thousands of people out on it, that's an entirely different story. And like I told everybody this morning, I says, I'm not comfortable driving my truck out on that. And I have to because I bring out the sawdust and the coffee every day. So, you know, 
I'm not willing to drive my truck out there and have it go through the ice. So what a what about the future uh, with with the challenges in recent years and wh- whether people want to call it climate change or global warming or whatever is there going to uh, come a time when the Whitney Point Sportsman's Association has uh, a, a serious conversation about even trying to have this event because of the the challenges that have um, occurred certainly in in recent years we have not had that discussion because all of us love doing it. And until that changes, we're going to continue to try to do it. And it's not up to us. Mother Nature, she always wins. And that's the bottom line. So we're, we're always hopeful that we'll get a, a derby in. And until the weather starts to cooperate just a little bit more, we're going to have to keep on postponing it or, or canceling it like we have to today. You know, it used to be back in the, in the past, we used to have one day at the end of January that we would have the Derby, and then we had a postponement date. But we, we found out, you know, about five, six years ago, it just wasn't worth it. And we, we had less people, and we didn't always get that extra postponement date in either. So that's one of the concessions we've already made, is now we're just... We're shooting for one day, and if we get it, that's fine. And it happens to be the free fishing day that New York State allows, which which works out great because then anybody can come out and ice fish. So even yeah, though the, the official announcement is coming right now that the 2023 event can't be held, the Whitney Point right. Sportsman's Association basically at this point will shift its attention to February of next year. Yeah, we'll we'll keep on trying to do it. You know, we're... We're a pretty dedicated bunch, and we have all our stuff, and we know how to. We know what we're doing, and uh, if we can get it in, we will. You know, we we try to keep our costs down prior to the event because we just never know, and um, that way we're not losing money all the time on it. Well, that makes and, sense, uh, and it's and it's good that. You know, as people make plans, it's good that a determination, uh, for example, this year can be made early in the week, unlike last year, as you mentioned, because of the unusual set of circumstances where you um, had to make a, a decision very close to the event day. So this, right. this at least right. people can shift gears and, you know, make other plans for themselves for this Saturday. Right. And see, and we, we always try to make this... Uh call the week before, um, especially if we know exactly that there's no way we're going to be able to hold it. Um, but when we, we're kind of up in the air and we think we can do it because we have enough ice, we, we try to hold up at the last minute, and last year it kind of caught us because we ended up having to cancel because of the uh, incoming water. And everybody forgets that the Whitney Point Reservoir is an impoundment that's run by the Army Corps of Engineers. And they dictate what water gets held in it and what gets released out of it to go down to the Susquehanna. So it's totally out of our hands sometimes. Well, Tom Decker, I appreciate your uh, calling in with the information and letting our listeners know about the uh, decision for this year's Crappy Derby. And certainly people will look ahead to 2024 and hope that the conditions will be uh, favorable so it can be held. Us also. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Bye. 
It's 1050. Bob Joseph live on News Radio, WNBF 921 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. Do you have. Monday morning live with Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF. Fifty-five with Bob Joseph, keeping an eye to the skies because you just never know. More objects have been shut down. Well, not just shut down, but shot down over the United States and Canada. And uh, are they balloons or objects or who really knows? Well, they asked Charles Schumer what is going on. And this is what Senator Schumer had to say. I think our military, our intelligence are doing a great job, present and future. I feel a lot of confidence in what they're doing. But why, why as far back as the Trump administration, did no one know about this? And what about the bottom line? The bottom line is, first, until a few months ago, we didn't know of these balloons. Our intelligence and our military did not know. All right. Thanks, Charles. Bob Joseph, live, WNBF. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Monday, February 13th. You're listening to WNBF. The first licensed cannabis shop in upstate New York is open for business in downtown Binghamton. Damien Cornwell's On Point Cannabis was awarded a retail license by regulators in November. The Just Breathe shop at 75 Court Street has sold hemp-derived products since the summer of 2021. The arduous licensing process for Cornwell was completed on Tuesday with official word from the state and approval of a special use permit by the Binghamton Planning Commission. Cornwell will own and operate the Binghamton store in a partnership with the Broome County Urban League. The business will open daily at noon and will close at 8 p.m. Monday through Wednesday, 9 p.m. Thursday, 10 p.m. Friday, and 9 p.m. Saturday. The store will be closed on Sundays. While expressing excitement that the shop now is in operation, Cornwell acknowledged there's pressure to do the right thing with the state's first licensed store outside New York City. For the first several days, Just Breathe will be selling cannabis products only to people who visit the Court Street location. It plans to launch a delivery service on February 17th. Various businesses have operated at the site of the new legal marijuana retailer. For decades, W.T. Grant Company had a store in the building. The place housed a Barbara Moss clothing store in the 1990s. It also was briefly home to the Urban League's Urban Star Vintage Boutique. Binghamton officials have ordered the entrances to a downtown restaurant closed until further notice because of concerns about the possibility of falling bricks. Matthew Jones of Burger Monday said the dining room and bar won't be operating until further notice. A small section of a parapet, a wall along the roof of the building at 23 Henry Street, collapsed Thursday morning. 
Several bricks fell to the sidewalk and onto State Street. Jones said the restaurant will be open for takeout only during normal hours. He expressed disappointment that customers won't be able to dine in for the time being. He said it's horrible. The business pivoted to the takeout model in the early weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic. A Syracuse area partnership acquired the five-story building for $2.2 million in August 2021. The owners had been planning to renovate the property. In a Facebook post, Laney Vasallo, one of the partners in the ownership group, wrote that a mason was quickly contacted after the owners learned of the falling bricks. Vasallo indicated efforts are underway to address the problem as quickly as possible. She said the company has worked to transform neglected properties into more beautiful and sustainable homes and apartments. Tim Moran of the rental company Foundation Housing on Friday afternoon said arrangements are being made with a contractor to get the needed equipment to the site to deal with the brick issue. He said he expects the affected section of State Street could be open in about a week. In Broome County Court, 45-year-old Eric Gross of Johnson City entered a plea of guilty to the felony charge of sexual conduct against a child in the second degree. Gross admitted that in 2008 in the city of Binghamton and in the village of Johnson City, he engaged in sexual contact with a child under 13 years old. Gross will be sentenced to four years in New York State Prison, followed by 10 years post-release supervision on May 9th. He will also be required to register as a sex offender under the New York State Sex Offender Registration Act. Michael Korchak, Broome County District Attorney, said abuse cases dating back 15 years are diff very difficult to prosecute. This resolution saves the victim from having to testify in court and relive the crime. If you or someone you know is a victim of abuse, please contact your local police or the DA's office. During a narcotics investigation by the Cortland County Drug Task Force last week, the Cortland Police Department conducted a traffic stop on a vehicle in the city of Cortland for a traffic infraction. The operator of the vehicle, Akil Geddes, was found to be operating the vehicle without a license, while also being in possession of approximately two ounces of cocaine and an undisclosed amount of money. The cocaine had an approximate street value of over $5,700. Mr. Geddes was transported to the Cortland County Sheriff's Office for processing and to wait arraignment. Mr. Geddes was arraigned in Cortland City Court on February 10th and released on his own recognizance. Mr. Geddes is due to appear in the Cortland City Court on March 1st at 11 a.m. The investigation is ongoing and further charges are possible. During another narcotics investigation by the Cortland County Drug Task Force, the Cortland County Sheriff's Office conducted a traffic stop on a vehicle in the village of Marathon for a traffic infraction. The passenger of the vehicle, Artis Quiller, fled from the traffic stop on foot. The operator of the vehicle, Anthony Perkins, then fled from the stop in the vehicle. Mr. Quiller was taken into custody after a short foot pursuit. Mr. Perkins returned to the area a short time later, still driving the vehicle where he was stopped by the New York State Police. During the investigation, it was discovered that Mr. Perkins was operating the vehicle with, with a suspended driver's license. It was also discovered that the defendants were in possession of approximately four and a half ounces of cocaine and an undisclosed amount of U.S. currency. The cocaine discovered during the investigation has an approximate street value of over $12,500. As a result of the investigation, both defendants were arrested for the above charges and transported back to the Cortland County Sheriff's Office for processing and to await arraignment. Mr. Quiller and Mr. Perkins were arraigned on February 10th, where they were both remanded to the Cortland County Jail on no bail. Mr. Quiller and Mr. Perkins are due to appear in the Town of Marathon Court on February 15th. The investigation is ongoing and further charges are possible. The IRS says most relief checks issued by states last year won't be subject to federal taxes, providing late guidance as taxpayers have begun filing returns. The IRS said it won't challenge the taxability of payments related to general welfare and disaster, meaning taxpayers who receive those checks won't have to pay federal taxes on those direct payments. 
The guidance on Friday came a week after the IRS told payment recipients to delay filing taxes. All told, the IRS said special payments were made by 21 states in 2022. A U.S. fighter jet shot down an unidentified object over Lake Huron on Sunday on orders from President Joe Biden. It was the fourth such downing in eight days. Pentagon officials believe the latest military strike in an extraordinary chain of events over U.S. airspace has no peacetime precedent. The head of NORAD and U.S. Northern Command, General Glenn Verherk, says part of the reason for the repeated shootdowns is a heightened alert following a spy balloon from China that emerged over U.S. airspace in late January. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, sunny with a high near 49 degrees. Tonight, mostly cloudy, a low near 30. Wind could gust as high as 24 miles per hour. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a high near 44. Tomorrow night, increasing clouds with a low near 33. Wind gusts as high as 24 miles per hour. Wednesday, partly sunny with a high near 56. Winds as high as 29 miles per hour. And Wednesday night, partly cloudy, a low near 42 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Joseph live on a Monday morning. Shame right like a diamond. At News Radio WNBF. Fine light in the beautiful sea. I chose to be happy. You and I, you and I. We're like diamonds in the sky. You're a shooting star, I see. A vision of ecstasy. When you hold me, I'm alive. Six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety is the number. If you have thoughts, I wouldn't be surprised that some people have thoughts. Of course, you have thoughts. Call six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety. We always encourage people to speak their mind. Some restrictions may apply. Let's see what's going on. In the wide world of email, I'm sure somebody has something to say. wonder why I don't give out the email address very much. Hmm. Hmm. Good question. I wonder why. Uh, oh, here's one just in. Stan from Maine. Good morning, Stan, a regular listener regarding the crappy derby they should change the date to the sunday of the nfl week before the super thing i can't call it i don't think i'm allowed to call it what the nfl calls it or else they'll probably have their attorneys on me let's we'll call they should change the date to the sunday of the nfl week before the game that many people talk about uh, now that they have the playoffs later, Stan from Maine. Yeah, maybe. I might. Yeah, it might make it a little more doable. Thank you, Stan. What else is going on? Eh. Oh, here's another. Uh, this is from 
Uigo, Jesse and Uigo, believe me, Bob, if it came to a choice of watching that thing, contest sponsored by the National Football Corporation, or me interviewing Joe Biden, I definitely would be watching and listening to that interview. All I would need is some popcorn and delightful beverages. Uh, this is from Michael. Good morning. I won't be able to listen today, but I'm wondering if you are going to keep your word and talk about the president's lack of backbone and refusing to go on Fox. And I already sent a response to Michael that I had mentioned, I think, before he sent his email, certainly before I read it. I had mentioned uh, about Joe Biden inexplicably not agreeing to be interviewed by our friends at Fox. And as I told Michael, I'll be talking more about it. I was very disappointed in his decision not to be interviewed. I find it um, deplorable. Deplorable. I believe the President of the United States and all elected officials should agree to be interviewed on live TV and live radio. So I, I think I'm consistent. Whether you're a president, a county executive, a mayor, or a town supervisor, I believe this, I believe you should be interviewed on live TV and radio. And you should do it on a regular basis, not one and done on a regular basis whenever you're invited. Well, I don't like the questions. I know. No elected official likes the questions. Trust me. Trust me, I know. I've spoken with many elected officials, including some who still will come on the program. They don't come on because they like the questions. They come on because they understand that it's part of the job. So you know the people with backbone, the people with courage, will come on the program. The people who don't have courage or don't want to be held accountable... They've got other priorities, and that's their choice. And the voters can take that into account. Think about it. Any elected official who won't come on a program, they won't come on TV and do a live interview, they won't come on radio and do a live interview, they won't go on the newspaper website and do a live interview, well, that tells you something. That tells you something. So it applies to local officials and it applies to the President of the United States. If those officials don't agree to be interviewed in a live setting without the questions being presented in advance, that means they're afraid of something. It's 1117. This is WNBF. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, hey, good morning. Hi, I, I think we're having trouble because of the Chinese spy phone system. <laughs> Chinese are spying. Who is who is this? Tommy? Oh, it's Mark. Oh, Mark. All right. How are you? I'm well. Mark from where? Nineveh? No, I'm actually from calling you from uh, Italy. The country called Italy. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm just wondering... Uh, here's my take on this. Uh, I'm watching the news, uh, obviously, from last night and this morning. And how the heck do we shoot down three objects 
or objects now, and they have no idea where they came from, who it came from, when it came into our territory, and why all of a sudden we're shooting these things down. You cannot tell me that this has not been going on for a long term, and it, uh, it just it just it makes me crazy because I'm thinking this has been going on for a lot longer than all of a sudden a person sees this, not a not a news, not a uh, person that's in intelligence sees a balloon flying over 40,000 feet above our skies and sees this thing and brings it to our attention. So there's something going on that undoubtedly means more to us for our intelligence or security than what leaves us to uh, have them talk to us about what's happening. I mean, three days ago, they still don't know where it came from. Um, come on, please. I mean, be serious. Be up front, you know? Why would they start now? Why would they start with this particular topic? They're not honest or upfront with us about most topics, so why would they suddenly be honest and upfront and transparent about this potentially sensitive topic? Exactly. Exactly. You know, that's probably one reason why President Biden opted not to go on Fox yesterday before the big game to be interviewed right. by Hannity and Tucker Carlson and Bill O'Reilly. I think I think President Biden owes America an apology. He doesn't owe Fox an apology, but he owes them an inter interview. And I think to make it up for what he did to the American people by refusing to sit down for what now is basically a traditional interview before the football game, I think start uh, on um, this coming Sunday, so that would be February 19th, at 9 p.m. Eastern, he should go to the Fox Studios in Manhattan on 6th Avenue and agree to be interviewed for three hours by Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Janine Puro, And you. And, well, and me. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a crowded studio. <laughs> But uh, So for two hours, interviewed, and then the final hour, taking questions from random American people. Not anybody who's pre-screened, just whoever happens to get through. So luck of the draw, and for three hours, actually two hours, 59 minutes, and 50 seconds, they can do a station ID at 11 o'clock. No commercials, no breaks, nobody, I mean, lock the studio, nobody goes in or out, starting at I said 9 o'clock. No, start at 8 o'clock. Three big hours, and all questions are on the table. And I mean that. All questions. Yeah. All yeah. questions. Uh, Hunter, the laptop, everything. The good, the bad, yeah. and the ugly. You know, I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying I don't want... I don't want Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson and Janine Pirro and Bill O'Reilly and me. I don't want us all to beat up on the guy for three hours. I want it to be somewhat balanced, but there are some tough questions the guy should address. And because he refused to sit down for a 10-minute interview Sunday afternoon before the big game, so this this will teach him a lesson, and this will also apply for future presidents. If you don't do the ten minute interview before the big game, which is now a tradition, then the following Sunday on the network that carried the big game, you're going to be on there for three hours answering questions. Yeah, I mean to, to have a balloon fly over our nuclear sites, our B fifty two building sites, um, satellite nations or satellite uh, communications. 
and say, oh, well, we didn't, we had to worry about that because of the fact that there was, you know, we might have casualties. Well, my goodness. I mean, in the long run, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but in the long run, what's it going to cost us? Is it going to cost us millions of people dying or is it going to cost us two people on the ground? I, 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 I'm playing that back and forth. Right. No, I no, I understand. I mean, it's a difficult decision. <laughs> That's why you're president. You know, you, you're president of the United States, and one one part of the job description says you will make difficult decisions over your four-year term. So that's why a lot of people don't run for president. I'll never run for president, not because I wouldn't be a good president, but I don't want to make difficult decisions and be stuck for four years after I was elected, because at some point it'd be like, man, these decisions are really tough, and people in my cabinet be like, yeah, Mr. President, what did you expect? It's the toughest right. job on the planet. You ran for it. You won. Make a tough decision. And and I would. And I'm not saying exactly what I would do with these balloons or objects or whatever. Every case is unique. But, it, hey, I wouldn't shy away in some circumstances of saying, oh, gee, oh, gee, there's... There is a balloon that we think is from China, and we think that they're using it to get information that they otherwise could not obtain by other means, including satellites. So I'm going to make a tough decision to order it shot down right now. And if, unfortunately, if there is some, as they might call it, collateral damage, well, then I'll explain that to the American people. I hope not. But... Right. Let's face it, there, there is so much, so much of this country is sparsely populated. Now, obviously, say if the spy balloon is over Manhattan, over Central Park, or over Times Square, I probably wouldn't order it shot down until it moved to some place that would pose a, less, a lesser threat right. to people. But, you know, in some parts of the United States, the odds of of a Chinese balloon or even a Canadian spy balloon. I mean, let's never rule out Canadians and Mexicans might want to spy on us too. I mean, what do countries do? Even even friends, we spy on each other. That's what that's why we have countries. That's why we we have spy organizations to spy on everybody, not just our our enemies, but the the people who pretend to be our friends because in the end, yeah. you need information. I'm not questioning uh, the loyalty of um, Trudeau right now in Canada, but who who knows for sure? Who knows if he's not working in alliance with I don't know Iran or so? I, again, you you have to you have to spy on everyone if you're a country. Yeah. All right. Sadly, your phone is being scrambled because of the Chinese spies <laughs> that are infiltrating our our Binghamton phone system. Don't forget, I'm calling the police. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. I know it must cost you a pretty penny or whatever it is that they use there. It's 1125. Bob Joseph, just telling it like it is. I know some people can't handle the truth. Most people can handle the truth. Some people don't want to hear it. As I said, President Biden, hey, either you love them or you don't. You know, that's neither here nor there. A key part of being president of the United States is to show up for the interview. I even tweeted that last, uh, 
I think Friday night when it became crystal clear that he was going to chicken out. Now, Friday, Friday night, I said, hey, come on, man, do the interview and do it live. That's, it's not much to expect. He did interviews with several other organizations last week, CBS, ABC, NBC, I believe, uh, PBS. I think he did four or five other broadcast interviews. Why won't you do an interview with Fox? Well, because they don't like me. It's irrelevant. In fact, that's all the more reason for you to do an interview on Fox. Well, we wanted to do it with Fox Soul. What? Till, until I heard that, that Fox Soul was a platform. By the way, I wish him well. Actually, he should have done two interviews. One with regular Fox on TV before the game. And then one with Fox Soul. He can walk and chew gum at the same time. There was no reason he had to do a single interview. Doesn't speak well. Now, if the American people are going to be asked to consider giving him a second term, as some political observers say he's planning to run again, I still don't think he will, but if he's going ahead with uh, a re-election bid, he should be up to the task. If he's not up to the task of being interviewed on Fox or Newsmax or even, what's that uh, conspiracy guy? Even him. Yes, and you're saying, but Bob, the conspiracy guy is bad. Well, maybe he is. He could still come up with some good questions. And what about on uh, the pillow guy, the pillow guy's podcast. Answer his questions too. Well, the pillow guy doesn't like Joe Biden. That's exactly the point. Everybody knows it. Everybody will factor that in. So do a 10 minute interview with the pillow guy. What's this, we do interviews only with people we like. Yeah, that sounds like the way they do things in Binghamton. That's why some people don't do interviews with anybody in Binghamton, because they don't like anybody. You know, that also speaks volumes of some elected officials who you never see or hear, except when it's time for re-election. 1129, Bob Joseph, on your side on WNBF. You don't have to play it, but I hope you'll do your best. I've been listening to your show on the radio, and you seem like a friend to me. Sleep. People say 
WNBF sounding good to you. This is World Radio Day. And thank you for listening to WNBF. We have been here for a while, and my intent is to stay here for a while longer. I haven't worn out my welcome quite yet, so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, World Radio Day. Radio, and this is from the World Radio Day website, where they have all the information you might need about how to properly celebrate and acknowledge World Radio Day. Radio is a powerful medium for celebrating humanity in all its diversity and constitutes a platform for democratic discourse. At the global level, radio remains the most widely consumed medium. This unique ability to reach out the widest audience means radio can shape a society's experience of diversity stand as an arena for all voices to speak out be represented and heard radio stations should serve diverse communities offering a wide variety of programs viewpoints and content and reflect the diversity of audiences in their organizations and operations radio continues to be one of the most trusted and used media in the world according to different international reports this is online, so it must be true. UNESCO. World Radio Day was first proclaimed in 2011 by member states of UNESCO and ado adopted by the United Nations General Assembly in 2012 as an international day. Every February 13th is World Radio Day. So, what does it mean to you? Well, think about for a moment what radio does mean to you. My guess is, if you're listening to WNBF radio right now, radio means a lot to you. And the fact that WNBF radio has been doing what we do for as long as we have, I think it speaks volumes. They started this station back in 1927. So that was 96 years ago. February 1927. 96 years ago. Think about that. It's remarkable. And I think it was right around this time. I'll, I'll have to look up the exact date. It was right around February 13th or so. And as I wrote last year, on the WNBF.com website, the station started in Endicott. Okay, actually, this is, let me quote from the story from about a year ago. Binghamton Press reported on Valentine's Day, 1927, a fine thing for this community, as well as additional entertainment for thousands of radio fans will be the permanent radio station at the Elvin Theater. That theater, if you want to go see where it was, it's not there anymore, but over on West Main Street. Um, just 
a few yards west of McCoy's Chop House. It's right pretty much where the bank is now. I believe probably is where the Alvin Theater was on West Main Street. So the Binghamton Press story said there were no plans for the station to carry advertising. But the broadcaster will be free to say that this is the home of the Endicott Johnson Shoe or the International Business Machines. So initially, apparently, they didn't plan to carry advertising. Then somebody said, well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not... It's not cheap to run a radio station, so you have to pay for the electricity and you have to pay for the people who are going to be on your station. So, therefore, advertising was graciously accepted, and we still do. If you want information, call the office. Some of the earliest WNBF programs featured accordion solos and piano selections. After three weeks, WNBF's operations were moved to the Hotel Frederick on Washington Avenue in Endicott. Station was relocated to Binghamton's Arlington Hotel in November 1928. Since then, WNBF has remained in Binghamton, operating from various sites, including the beautiful Sheridan Inn at 50 Front Street, Center Plaza at Shenango and Henry, and the delightful Security Mutual building at Court and Exchange. WNBF began to broadcast from its current location here in the delightful and historic Sissons Department Store building on December 2nd, 1997. So, think about this. The station has been in this spot now for 25 years. Hmm just occurs to me this might be the longest stretch that the station has stayed put. I don't think WNBF in its history over the past century has been in one place for more than 25 years. So apparently we like this place. Not apparently, of course, we love this place. What's not to love? It's probably the best place to have a radio station in the Binghamton area. We're proud to be in the heart of downtown Binghamton. You may have heard that WNBF over the years has had several owners. And I got to know several owners and several managers. Right now we're owned by Town Square Media, which acquired WNBF and the other Binghamton stations in 2012. We've been at 1290 on the AM dial since August 1942. Before that, we were on some other different frequency. Might have been 1460 or something, but we've been at 1290 for about 80 years. And now, of course, we're on an FM frequency, 92.1 FM. Plus, we're also on the internet, WNBF.com, and people can stay connected with WNBF using the app. So we've got people listening right now in Florida and South Carolina and North Carolina and Tennessee and California and even in Pennsylvania. 
using the WNBF app. Bob Joseph, proud to be working at News Radio WNBF on this World Radio Day. Hi, folks. Johnson City. Good morning. You're on the air. Oh, good morning. Uh, I called to uh, take a, a stroll down memory lane with the department stores and their former names, but I have to say something. I have to preface that with something else. When I heard Bill Flynn's voice just now for the commercial, it made me think of uh, what he talked about for a few seconds on Sunday, and that is calling Valentine Day St. Valentine Day. And he's, that's what we used to call it back a long time ago. And somehow uh, Valentine's Day lost its sainthood because it was a real person. So anyway, uh, to talk about Sissons, Sisson Brothers and Weldon, I, I think it was Sisson Brothers. It wasn't Weldon Brothers. Uh, Sisson Brothers and Weldon, do you recall uh, that I believe you're right. That, and I'm, your, I'm standing right here. I'm standing in the bargain basement. <laughs> I can imagine. They used to have dresses on sale right where I'm standing probably for 99 cents. Well, and then Hills, McLean, and Haskins uh, was uh, their their whole entire name. So something happened to Hill and Haskins, and they weren't there any longer. I know. I, it's I sad. Do, yeah. Well, I do believe, uh, well, I got married in 19... Well, hey, you know, my wedding anniversary was yesterday. Holy cow. If I were still married, it would be 57 years. Good grief. I can't believe it. Anyway, I did buy my wedding gown uh, at uh, McLean's up on the third floor. Even though they had bridal shops in the area, uh, I discovered, like, wow, there's a bridal shop in McLean's, and I got a really good deal on a, on a wedding gown in 1966. And Barbara Moss, when they were talking about Barbara Moss, but the former, is that for the uh, the, the place that shall not be named? Yeah, the week. Yeah, Weed right. World. Weed yeah. World. I thought that it was nice that I did a little history there for people who like uh, remembering what was in Binghamton because Barbara Moss was there. But it was um, someplace else before that. Go sure. Ahead. Grants. Grants was there for decades. W.T. Exactly. Grant was there 
from I think the late teens up until into the forties. So most more than that. We used to go there, and the, I graduated from high school in 59, so on Thursday nights we would go downtown, so that was in the year 56, 7, 8, 9, on Thursday night, and uh, we would go to Grand's, and they had two uh, half-circle uh, counters, and uh, you could get a Sunday for, I think it was like 30 cents or something, and so that was like our big treat on uh, Thursday night shopping. So it was still there in, in you know, 59. And then Barbara Moss was across the the original Barbara Moss was across the street from Baskov, uh, where the bank is now, and it was right on the corner. And then down the street from uh, uh, going towards the bridge, there was Myers Furrier. Does anybody remember that? And then on the top floor, you know how uh, in Alice in Wonderland they referred to the Mad Hatter. <laughs> well, there was. You know, they use chemicals, whatever they do. I, I, I right. can't remember what they called them. What did they call those people that, you know, did things with hats? But they were on the second floor because there was a big sign in the in the windows that uh, they didn't say Mad Hatter, of course. Yeah. What the heck was it? I Probably can't remember. Happy, happy Hat. Or Hat, <laughs> something, hat Hut. Some, hat something hut. like that. Yeah. Well, those are good memories. I appreciate it. So how uh, how many... So the the pitchers did uh, did the uh, infielders the outfielders uh, report yet? Pitchers probably reported. I am not sure. I I think they probably are, but I, I'm not positive. You know, I got to get uh, the guy on from the the baseball oh. team. Okay. Oh oh, Sabatka. Yeah, Dave. Yeah. He is wonderful. He is a, such a wonderful person. I know. We I couldn't know. have found a better owner. I'm not kidding you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting with him. Thanks for the memories. 1149 WNBF. Larry from Kirkwood, you're on the air. So the only question I have is, where's Gerald Smith? He should be here. It sounds like history day here. Yeah, yeah, we should have actually brought it up. He was he was here on, on Friday, and, you know, here yeah, we go again, you know, talking about history. But I love radio oh. history, and I... I didn't know. I forgot that today is World Radio Day. I, I heard about it when they announced it on uh, WCBS this morning. They said it was World Radio Day, and I said, well, I better mention it because every year I forget on the program, and every year I say, oh, I'll remember next year. So this year, for the first time, I <laughs> finally, I'll remember. It's always February 13th. I would never have known unless I did just heard you yeah, say that. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, I appreciate I appreciate you playing the Buggles there, the MTV's very first video. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a memory. And and look, you know, we outlasted MTV. MTV is still a thing, but they don't play videos. So it seems to me that the <laughs> I think the radio stars wound up getting the last laugh. MTV started with some VJs, video jockeys. Remember Martha Quinn? And so on, but where are they today? They lost. <laughs> That's the funny thing. I was working at WNBF the day that VH or not VH1, the day that MTV went on the air, and it's like, where are they today? Am I right, people? Selena from Binghamton, you're on. Hi, hey, Bob. Um, I love your bumper music. I remember Happy Hat. <laughs> oh, those are good good times. Um. Uh. I was just wondering if if anyone else knows about the 200 block of Front Street. Sorry to get off topic. They're still using it as a racetrack. 
and they're going 60, 70 miles an hour. All right. I'll, I'll look into that. And next time I have the mayor on the program, I'll ask yeah, him, okay? I, I, I called numerous times to the mayor, but nothing is done. All right. Well, the next time he's on the program, I'll, I'll be sure to ask him about that because if people keep driving like that on that part of Front Street, somebody's going to get killed, including innocent people. So I think it's time. I think it's time for the city to act. That's my opinion. This is Bob Joseph on WNBF. Do you have four? from California. Carol from Vestal just sent an email. She's listening to the program while visiting in California. So, hello, Carol in California. Thank you for tuning in. Now, Vinny to Binghamton. Good morning. Yes, good morning, Bob. Hey, listen, I want—I got to tell you really quick about I went to a Super Bowl party last night and uh, we were all there and this one lady showed up and she's talking and I heard her mention 92.1. So I didn't say anything, so I kept talking, and we are talking, and then she she said it again. And the next thing I know, I asked, I said, do you listen to uh, um, Bob Joseph? Uh, you know, uh, but I, I'm 1290. Yeah, yeah. I said, oh, my God, I do, too. I said, you might hear me once in a while. I'm Vinny from Binghamton. And you should have seen the stare I got. She's like, you are not. I said, yeah, yeah, I am. I said, it's a great show. I've been calling for a long time. You are not. And then she fell out laughing. I can't believe it, blah, blah, blah. So um, I said, it's a great show. She goes, oh, I love listening to it. I said, just always call. If you don't call, you can even call in to ask a question for everybody else. And she said, I like listening to that show because she goes, believe it or not, I learn a lot of stuff from there. A lot of people call in. They say these interesting things because she loves history. So we sat there the rest of the night. We had a great time. But there are listeners out there, and this show means... A lot of times more than you think it does. So keep up the good work. Thank you. And by the way, that reminds me, there was uh, a gathering a few weeks ago uh, at a friend's house, and I was sitting at a table with someone I never met before, and ultimately uh -huh. the conversation turned to WNBF radio, and someone at the table said, identified who I was, and the guy was incredulous. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> It's like, yeah. but it's like, yeah, actually, I am. So, that's how it goes. And that's all for today, folks. I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF. WNBF.